Mucho gusto, and welcome to another episode of Detective Writer. I'm your host, Sally, aka Detective Writer, and today I am super duper excited to introduce all of you to a brand new guest, fellow author, K.W. Zachary. K.W., thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to ask you, um, what do you find was your biggest motivation to begin writing? I would definitely love to know about that. I remember writing stories when I was literally a child. And uh, I look back and think, well, I guess I always knew that since I was fascinated by reading, that someday I would want to write something that someone else would read. And so I remember writing in my mind, the imaginary story of when they brought my younger sister home from the hospital, which I was too young to know. Yeah. But, you know, it was just something that that's, I knew without knowing that you were supposed to write about things you were interested in and things you knew about. So I remember, I mean, from the time I was probably seven or eight years old, I was already writing down little stories. That's amazing. And I definitely can just hear enthusiasm as you talk about it. And can I definitely ask you as well, did you ever feel like as you were writing your stories that, you know, you were connecting with your characters, that you just, you knew them inside and out? Well, I particularly did, but it's because once I had a choice between fiction and nonfiction, I became more enthralled with nonfiction because these were real people. And so I would read in my spare time uh, memoirs, biographies. I remember in elementary school, if you got through with your work, they had an SRA kit where you could go and read about things. And I always chose famous people because they were real. You didn't have to make up stories about them. They were real. And of course, it wasn't until I got to be an adult that I realized some of these uh, elementary level biographies had made up a lot of things. But as an adult, that made it even more fascinating to find out, hey, these people weren't paragons of virtue. They weren't heroes always. They were just like the rest of us. So that's what got me interested in finding out about the story behind the story. I love that. And if you don't mind me asking you as well, KW, can I ask you, what was your inspiration to co-authoring, well, even just writing The Lone Star Speaks, Untold Texas Stories, both the JFK assassination? And I got to tell you, I actually looked up that book. I found it was interesting just from reading the title. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Untold stories are mysterious all by themselves. Yes. Uh, Sarah Peterson and I both work at a small college in West Texas, and one day I noticed that she was reading a book that I had read, and so as I walked into the language hub, I said, oh, I've read that, and uh, I said, what else are you interested in? She said, well, I've always been interested in the Kennedy assassination. I went, oh, I have too, and we both started talking about what we already knew, and we realized that she's younger than I am. I was 11 when the assassination took place, but that we'd already spent years years researching we just didn't call it researching we thought we were just reading because it was interesting and so some people overheard us and said you two need to make a presentation at the west texas history symposium because you know so much that the general populace doesn't know about this subject and so we put together a paper and it was so well received that people, the word spread that we were collecting stories about the Kennedy assassination. And people just started finding us 
And then when they would lead us to one person, that would lead us to someone else. And then we see we both are in the education field. So research is something we both realize the, and appreciate the value of. So all of a sudden, research wasn't just, oh, I'm writing a paper for an English class or a history class. It was finding out about real people and the stories that they had hidden from everyone else. That's absolutely incredible. And to even hear that, you know, witnesses and family friends have begun contacting you with stories. I've got to ask you, how did that feel for you? You know, that your work was being well received with you and Sarah and people wanted to know much more. That's got to have been like, my gosh. Well, it's almost like we felt like we had a little angel sitting on our shoulder because at times, we, like we were being interviewed by the school newspaper and it was a young man who didn't really know too much about the assassination but i mentioned something about um that my husband had been in vietnam and of course the 60s were such a stressful time and he said oh that reminds me i need to call jd lucky and Sarah and I both looked at each other because that was a man we've been looking for. And we both said, you, you mean J.D. Lucky that used to be a detective in Midland? And he said, yes, my mother was his secretary. And we have been looking for him for two years. And here this kid who had no idea what he was saying led us right to him. And so we got an interview because of that. That's amazing. I feel like writing for you has obviously had so many benefits and it's worth it worth that you just touched upon a point people were fascinated by what you were writing and I think that that's so oh my god that's phenomenal to know that you're writing something and writing doesn't have to just be so one specific thing writing can be informative writing can be fun it can scare the wits out of people but like <laughs> it's absolutely incredible well, it is fun. It is fun to be involved in what's almost like a true crime story. Uh, but there are some downsides to that. We met some wonderful people, people that became friends of ours. Uh, one woman uh, became close enough to us that she called me about a month before she died and said, I just want you to know that I'm not going to take any more chemo and I want you to know that I appreciate you including my family story in your book. We, we want this story to be shared with others uh, and that I, you know, I won't be around much longer for you to talk to, which was, you know, heartwarming. And then there were other people we met who one admitted he had been an assassin Wow. That he, he had worked for Joseph Kennedy Sr. and pretty much done whatever Kennedy Sr. told him to do. And he told us some stories of his escapades that stood our hair on end. And as we were leaving, he said, now, you do know that if you repeat the part that I told you not to repeat, I know where you live and I can find you. Oh, and wow. Sarah and I were both going, oh my gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into? So, you know, there are people who will talk about the mysterious deaths that surround the Kennedy assassination, and some of them may be coincidental, lots of them aren't. So we did, we did worry about that. It's just that it's been almost 60 years now, and we figure we're safe as we're ever going to be. Definitely. 
but you know, like, just out of the safe side, you know, like, if someone tells you not to include it, I would just be on the safe side. We didn't, that's right, we didn't, believe me, we kept our word to him, but I didn't have any doubt that he did know where we lived, he would find us, you know, and so we thought, well, we appreciate the warning. (laughs) Yeah, at least he gave you a warning. And it's so interesting. But I remember in college and even in high school learning about the Kennedy assassination. I remember hearing, oh, that he was killed by a man. I believe his name was Lee Harvey Oswald. And he was killed two days later for it. And I think a lot of times what really fascinated me a lot about JFK was hearing that allegedly he may have had an affair with Marilyn Monroe or that he was probably doing this woman and doing whoever. And I think... Why are so many people fascinated on just who, who, he, who he was going to bed with? Well, I think what part of that comes from the fact that we were living in a day and age when things like that were covered up. And the media was forced to make superheroes out of these politicians. And so now we're just literally... Uh, overwhelmed with how much private information we know about people but we have also come to realize that as as many good things as a politician can do publicly there there are some character flaws that could affect how he behaves in office and so i've heard people say you know if you stand up in front of god and everybody and promise you'll be faithful to your husband or wife and then you aren't how can we trust you when you make give your word on any other situation and then there's others that think oh your personal life has absolutely nothing to do with your public life but i think it's a it's a matter of both there are some things in your private life that would tell the voters i'm probably not the good person you think i am and so maybe that's why we now feel like we really need to know what kind of people we're electing rather than just believe the PR that their campaign managers tell us. Oh, I definitely hear that. And I think a lot of times, you know, uh, with research, it's amazing how much you can find anything. And with this day and age, you know, through social media, through I guess little internet sleuths like myself that I tend to be. It's amazing to see how many times you can just find someone's information just like that. And at the time when Kennedy was president, I know there was a there's a quote we found where someone was telling him, "Look, some of this may come out. You don't want some of these extramarital affairs to come out." And he said, "You know." The, the press is going to cover for me as long as I'm alive. And after I'm dead, who cares? Well, the thing is, maybe your widow and your children would care. That That's kind of a self-centered point of view, you know? Yeah. Not to mention how many of his devoted followers cared when they found out and were so disappointed in some of his behaviors. Oh my gosh. And I think uh, that's why we should never idolize people because everybody is human and uh, yes, we're all point. works in progress. Yeah, just go ahead and tell us how human you are and let us overlook it, you know. Oh, I definitely need to remember that because I've had a few celebrity crushes and just having to remember that they are human, it's like a punch in the gut. Right, yeah, and it's not their fault to a certain extent that uh, people, other people made them seem like, you know, superheroes. It's their fault. They allowed their campaign managers and their PR department to, you know, sell them. Maybe Senior made the comment, we're going to sell Jack, you know, we're 
he's a product that we're going to selling to the American people. So you don't sell bad tasting soggy cereal to the American people. You sell perfect corn flakes, and that's what they did. And they're not alone. You know, other politicians did the same thing. I I completely hear that because I think that for me, in a lot of aspects, just reading about JFK and his history, I find myself like. Marilyn Monroe, she could have had any guy, not to this JFK, but I'm like, I feel like that's just a rumor. One thousand. Yes, I, I know, I know exactly how you feel about that. Have you like, have you ever been able to like go to where Kennedy was shot? Like, have you been able to like trace footsteps? Like, been able to find so many works? Oh yes, we we went to Dealey Plaza several times. We've attended assassination conferences, and then we just went on our own. Uh, I'll give you a kind of a rundown on some of the people we talked to. Some of them, in fact, this story is basically based on the fact that we found people no one had ever heard of. But we also found people who were crucial to the story. So we interviewed the young the young man then who gave Oswald a ride to the depository. Seriously. Uh, yes, he's still alive, and uh, he told us, you know, his side of what happened that day. And the fact that it was purely coincidence that Oswald's wife lived down the street from where he lived with his sister. Uh, not everyone believes that, but but he thought it was. And then we interviewed the granddaughter of the woman who ran the boarding house where Oswald lived when he was uh, working at the depository. And she remembered him as a nice man who seemed old to kids, of course, but a nice man that would get out and throw the football around with her brothers. You know, they didn't see any sign that he would do anything like uh, kill a president. And then this is one of the strangest things. You would assume that after, this was about 50 years when we first began uh, researching, 50 years after the assassination. We went back to the, uh, to the house where he had lived with Ruth Payne, who had offered to let his wife and the two babies stay with her while he stayed in Dallas. And we thought, well, you know, I know the odds of there being any neighbors still here are slim, but it's not going to hurt to ask. So we just started knocking on some doors and didn't have any luck until we crossed the street and knocked on the door. And just as we were doing so, an older woman drove up in the driveway. And she asked if she could help us, and we just told her she, we wondered if anyone in the neighborhood who still lived here, who'd been here November of 1963. She said, well, I would. So here was a lady who remembered uh, the woman across the street. Uh, and I said, well, no, you said you, you just had a new baby. And I said, Marina Oswald, Lee R.B. Oswald's wife, lived across the street, did did you ever get introduced to being young mothers? Y'all might want to have something to talk about. And she said, you know, come to think of it, that lady never did introduce me to her. I didn't even know she lived there. So, but, but, but imagine that there are still people who live in the same house as yes. they did 50 years ago. I would have been left. And oh, I, like I see. So does that happen in New York? Uh... To be totally honest with you, I was born and raised in this city, and uh, I love it, but I'm also kind of tired of it. <laughs> yes. Well, in Texas, there are areas where people find a house they like, and I guess they stay there till they die. 
I kind of feel like a lot of times a lot of people I know usually either move to Florida or they move to hotter climates because I don't know how cold it gets in Texas but here in New York when I tell you KW sometimes it goes down to below zero when it's winter. Yes I've been to New York in December and I love New York but you're right we have cold weather but it doesn't stay cold for months after month after month and with we, six we feet, didn't have warm spells. For literally six feet of snow Thankfully, oh we haven't had that so much, but I'm still just like, uh, I can't handle this. And I well, take you can always off. move to Texas. You're welcome to come to Texas. I would love to. I'm either looking right at Texas, Florida, California. You. you might be burning up. I don't mind because I'm a summer baby, so <laughs> I love, I love heat. And I also don't think it's, I don't think it helps me a lot because being literally born i was born in august and i think for me oh boy i the cold i can't handle it but i'm also a daily commuter and i when i tell you this that's the only problem so to be able to get little tips on how to deal with this little thing that we call life even better well one thing we used um to find people is there is a service that you can uh, pay to have called been verified and you can put in someone's name and what state you think they live in uh, and their pro- approximate age. And if that person is still alive, or sometimes even if they're deceased, it will bring that person up. And so, you know, we do what's called cold calls, where rather than preparing someone, we'll just catch some kind of off guard. And oftentimes that's the best way. They're so surprised when someone calls and wants to know about uh, where they were in 1963 or where their parents were or, or if I say someone met us at a book signing and told us that uh, you worked for Jack Ruby then the you know the person will say oh you already know that well I guess I might as well tell you other things and then if they're very accommodating uh, we traveled all sorts of places we'd leave at four in the morning because texas is a big state and we'd drive to dallas or to austin or to houston or all sorts of oak up to oklahoma out to new mexico uh just to visit with people because you can learn as any detective knows you learn so much more yes. when you're sitting face to face with someone I can definitely agree with you because I think for me, I find it just interesting to be able to look at someone's, you know, facial facial reactions, be able to perceive their tone, feeling like, oh, do they tend to raise their eyebrows a little too much when they're saying certain things or do they tend to look down or can't really see, don't really want to make eye contact. It's not even for actual cases that I... Well, it's not even for like an actual active case that I'm investigating that, but it can be things, you know, like from Jack Ripper, Black Dahlia, so many unsolved crimes. And I find it just so interesting just to be able to like look into the dun 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 effect, Uh, if that makes sense. I was was sitting in front of a, a man who was a detective and I was telling him some information that we had found out about and he was very good at being impassive. You know, policemen are good and not not changing expressions but i finally said something that i saw his eyes widen just a little bit and i thought if i can see that then he's impressed by this because usually 
his face did not change whatsoever. So yes, it's wonderful to be able to sit and hear someone's tone of voice uh, and see someone's facial expression change and whether they hem and haul around and trying to answer you. And then we had some experiences where we were, you have to remember, the people we were talking to were quite elderly. So they had a hard time hearing us. We had to talk very loudly. And so we were talking to two men who had been associated with the Dixie Mafia, and they admitted that. Uh, and so one of them said, well, let me call my brother, and I'll I'll see if he can come talk to you too. So we said, all right. So he got on the phone and started yelling, they want to talk to us about George, blah, blah, blah. And he got louder and louder. And then finally, Sarah has a wonderful brownie recipe. And when we go to visit men, particularly, we'll take brownies. Oh, and so wow. finally he yelled, they brought brownies. And so that got the other man over there. Boy, he hopped in his pickup and he drove over to the house. But what was hilarious is that he wanted to remind his brother not to talk about a certain subject. But he had to make him hear him. So we stayed in the living room and he went out on the back porch. But in order to make the brother hear him, he had to yell. So here he is yelling, I didn't tell them about the time we did so-and-so. And so Sarah and I are just laughing and taking notes, you know. And so sometimes it helped when they were hard of hearing because they'd have to yell to each other. Yeah. Or I'm like, a part of me is like, you could always just write it down or text we it. Did. We did. We just wrote it down. And said, "Well, they did tell us whether they know it or not." <laughs> no, I'm saying like to him, if you if his brother was hard of hearing, he could always just like quickly written something down or just like text it and say, "Look he, at your phone." He didn't, he didn't think about that. He just knew he had the warning. Not, let's not talk about so and so. Oh my god, this sounds so bad. This this is kind of. I feel like I'm watching a Law and Order SVU Like I'm listening and it's happening right in front of my eyes. Well, you know, I mean, this what this is a cold case murder. They have once Oswald was killed, there was never a trial that he could have a, uh, anyone defend him. And so, when you read in books, you'll say the assassin Lee Harvey Oswald. That is really a miscarriage of justice. He was never found guilty because he was never tried, and you can't really blame his family for feeling like. You know, I hate to live with the stigma the rest of my life when my father may have been innocent because there are people who either strongly believe that he it, that the Warren report's exactly right or they believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was completely innocent or they believe, more like Sarah and I do, that he was involved in something. He wasn't just your boy next door because the typical... American would not have left his job and gone to a boarding house and gotten a pistol and gone to a theater. Like getting the yeah. pistol is the problem, you know. I know. So obviously he was involved in probably some government informant type work, but that does not mean that he wasn't telling the truth when he kept saying, I'm just a patsy. Oh my gosh, that, that makes, this actually kind of makes total sense because. I think even in today's times, unfortunately, and like I think in some parts of the world or even some parts of the nation, maybe it's a little easier to get a gun. I don't know how easy it is to get a gun in New York, but from what I see, people don't really seem to have much difficulty drying. Mm, I'll be the horn. Definitely. And can I also ask you, 
you said you said once before you know like that you and sarah usually if you're gonna go visit men you bring brownies this might be a dumb question but why do you usually give brownies to men usually also give brownies to women like what is that Uh, yes but somehow another it kind of got men to talking women are usually watching their weight and men aren't so all they're doing is munching on brownies and all of a sudden it makes them feel more relaxed and comfortable and before they know it they just opened up and yak 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 told us all sorts of things now then their wives find out that they told us this and the next thing you know we hear rumors that well you know he has alzheimer's and oh you can't believe a word he says so i you know the wives were really worried about some of the things the husbands admitted to but some of the husbands were almost like little boys bragging about well yeah i knew george mcgann and yeah he was part of the dixie mafia and yeah we were good friends and you know they really were almost bragging about this wow he's just like it get right to the point right there they this actually does prove my theory Whenever everybody ever, whenever, whenever anybody ever says, "A way to the man's heart is through his stomach," or a "Way to get him to talk is through his," yes, yes, oh true. My gosh, and I think that will definitely maybe one day help me in the long run if I ever choose to like leave my job and maybe uh, do some investigations of my own. If you give yes, me an I idea, mean, it'd be, it's fascinating, and I'm sure it helps if you uh, are a detective because you know, like. You know, the police are allowed to lie to us. Now, we weren't, we weren't lying to them. We knew it was better to let them trust us. And so we would just tell them, you know, we just want to hear your side of the story. And, and oftentimes we would say, look, we're going to show you what we're, what we're going to put, and you correct any mistakes. And that opened up a lot of, uh, that gave them a lot of confidence to trust us also. That's incredible. And you definitely brought up a really great point, KW, that a lot of times it's really good to make friends rather than enemies. And yes, I think a lot of yes. times you have to try to really make people trust you because if they don't trust you, people are going to clam up like a shell. Well, now we did have one uh, witness who was on the sixth floor investigating the very day of the assassination. He was a detective. And later, he, people never think about that someone will remember what they said years later. Later, he told uh, a friend of his, he said, well, I examined the rifle that they said Oswald had used. And he said, I'm going to tell you, it was had an extremely, an exceptionally dirty bore, meaning the inside of the rifle, which meant it hadn't been fired. Because once a rifle is fired, the bullet goes through, and if it has cobwebs in it, it takes them out and cleans it out. Now, it doesn't make it clean as a pen, but it wouldn't have had cobwebs and dust and all of that in it if it had been fired just recently. So anyway, he made that comment. So when we got hold of him, we told him that we had talked to the man he had told this to, and that we were very interested in the comment he had made about this exceptionally dirty boar. And he told us, I will not talk about that. And I I mean, he meant it, that I will not talk about that. And sometimes when you refuse to talk, you've already said a lot right there. 
that yeah. there's if if he had been mistaken all he'd had to say is oh i was mistaken i really shouldn't have ever said that or if this wasn't a problem then he should have said well it doesn't really mean anything but instead he said i will not talk about that and so we realized you know we had touched on a touchy subject right there yikes because a lot of times even when people say oh i now or i'm not gonna say this right in front of who and so who and so it's like you kind of basically mm-hmm. answered your question you've got something to hide people right yes that's exactly right it sort of reminds me of a look that my relatives give me or they used to give me when i was a kid and i didn't want to say oh if i ate the last piece of chocolate or something and they could give me a look and i'm like <laughs> True, yes, yes. i'm like don't look at me like that don't look at me i didn't eat it if you look at me i'm going to start laughing yeah that's true that is a good way of putting it and then some of the people that we found are ones that we would have never dreamed were even still alive or that we never talked to them we were so honored that they would we talked to a man who had been a marine and shared uh, uh the bunk area with Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin. And so when I asked him, I said, tell me what you remember about him. And he said, oh, he was always going around at Russian records, music and things, and we'd listen to him at night. And he said, yeah, I really liked him. I took him home to meet my family. You know, he wasn't a fruitcake or, or anything like that, except that he would always spout off things about Russia. And he said, finally, one day I said, Lee, you don't really believe all that Marxist, Russian, communist crap, do you? And he looked at me and he said, no, but I have a job to do. And he said, I tried to tell the Dallas police when I heard he'd been arrested that I can get you to tell you that he had a job to do, that he was, there was whatever he's doing, he was doing it for our government, but they didn't want to talk to me. So people like that can give you a, show you a side of people that the Warren Commission never found. Oh my gosh. And it's just like by so many more people, the pieces get a little bit more intertwined. Yes, that's true. Can I also ask, did you ever, have you ever met his daughter, Caroline? Well, that's President Kennedy's daughter. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Have you ever met no, her? no, we've never met Caroline. Uh, we do know a man who met John Kennedy Jr. And he said that John Kennedy Jr. was very uh, interested in finding out what really happened to his father. So imagine. that means that he didn't believe the Warren report. And of course, now we have Robert Kennedy Jr. who's running for president, and he hasn't made any secret that he thinks the government covered up lots of things about his uncle and his father. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And I feel like with so much more research, the pieces just get more interesting. Like the plot yes, thickens. The puzzle, the puzzle becomes more filled in, but they're still missing pieces. That We hope that when people listen to these podcasts that they'll say, oh, I'm going to try to contact those authors and tell them about my great aunt or my great-grandfather or somebody who told me these stories because you know, that's how we 
we find out things like that. Pick your brain as to see, like, I I mean, I don't know if you've heard much about, you know, like the Tylenol killings or, you know, like so many more unsolved crimes that I would love to be able to just find out more information on. And it's my hope, and even if it sounds a little far-fetched, to be able to talk about so many unsolved crimes that maybe he had a family and hopefully one day, you know, to be able to discover what had happened to this little boy that, someone took his life you know just to be able to have that justice to be saying that oh at least we can now know like i am so interested to know i would love to know who was behind the tylenol killings like who was deliberately putting poisons in tylenol that killed so many people right yes and why why on earth would they do this which is kind of scary as to why I choose not to take pills just to be on the safe side. <laughs> Good point, you know. I mean, it, things like that do scare you and make you realize we're not as safe as we think we are. And I think, you know, this is one of the interesting things about for me because my family thinks that I talk so much about crimes and about death that they're like, <laughs> can you ever please talk about something more cheerful? And I just say, well, I'm trying to keep you and me safe. How about that? Yes, yes. And, you know, you may end up with a case where you're able to do your own amateur investigation and write a book about it. That would be awesome. Definitely. And I think from my book, you know, my book was complete fiction and it's called The Doctor, The Toxic Combination of Love, Revenge and Hatred Serves. And I got so many questions from random people and even people that I know asking me, did you actually try to kill a doctor? Have you ever tried to kill a doctor? And I will say no, 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 no. Never in my life. <laughs> no, that is never tried to happen. Yeah. Because I've gotten asked from some people. I'm like, I am not a killer. I am not a killer. <laughs> or even attempted to. And I found well, that now, think about it. Wouldn't that be an awesome way to tell the story and get away with it if you just pretended you made it up? Either I was really, I've, I'd have to be like really, really intelligent or kind of dumb to like really like <laughs> just blurt it out. Tell you, I've always just been fascinated by the whole topics of true crime and detective work. I took criminology in a college course in my earlier days, and I always found it just so interesting, you know, watching CSI Miami or SNAP, the yes, forensic yes, cases. Yes. And there was well, this, who is your, oh who is your favorite author? Stephen King. Oh, he is awesome, isn't he? Uh, I went up to Maine, and have you ever seen his house? I went oh, But see, I'm not going to stalk him. I've been there twice. Believe me, it's easy to find. Anyone in uh, town will tell you where it is. Um, and it looks exactly like you would expect with all these gables and gothic uh, creatures uh, carved out of stone and everything. But the second time I took some people to look at it, the gates were open. They had these big iron gates. And I said, well, that's kind of odd. Usually they're closed. And this was Halloween, uh, October 30th. And as we parked across the street just so we could take a picture of it here comes a black cat walking down the street and i said well surely we'll scare him away when he sees us he walked right in front of that house parked himself in the middle of the driveway and posed for a picture wow. now if i didn't know better i'd say stephen king and trained that cat to do that that makes complete oh my god that's fascinating for me you know 
I always found like just an interest in you know mystery and being able to just look and ask myself you know what was the author thinking about when they wrote these stories whether they be non-fiction or fiction or just something completely fantasy suspense I'm always just so curious as to know what was their motivation you know for writing that story and I think what me, did you think oh, of his 11 I haven't read it yet but I will oh you need to read that now keep in mind when you get to the end his, he told he writes a note where he says my wife does not agree with me so apparently they're split on their belief on that but it's a it's a very interesting book oh wow can I ask you who's your favorite author uh you know Agatha Christie has always been I one love of my her favorites too. because you know she I don't know how her brain came up with these plots and twisted them and all that because I could never figure out the ending. And you know, I, every time, even when I had read and read and read, and I thought, now I know how she does this. She still got me every single time. So I'm, I'm just amazed by her brain. Me too. And I will admittedly reveal to you that I've never read her books, but I saw the movies, um, the 1974 version as well as, I believe, the, 20, the 2020s version, um, Murder yeah. on the Orient Express or Death yes. on the Nile. And because I just love the characters, the woman who played uh, Wonder Woman, I just found fascinated it. <laughs> but I also am just like, this is probably such a bad thing to reveal as well. But I'm the kind of person that I used to love reading the books before watching the movie. Now sometimes I will watch the movie and then read the book. Oh, well, as long as you have them to compare. Uh, now, what uh, to me, what's interesting about A Murder on the Orient Express is that it was based on, it would have, been, it would have never been created if it hadn't been for the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Uh, and once you, once you read it, you'll understand. But I love the fact that people can take real life events, like Stephen King took the Kennedy assassination, and make fictional, almost nonfiction, fictional but still, you know, uh, stories out of them that make you wonder. Oh, maybe that is the way it really happened. We just don't know it, you know. Exactly. And I think you actually bring up a really great point, KWs. Like, when you feel like, oh, when I'm reading a book, I'm sometimes like, I want to be at the edge of my seat, wanting to know what's going to happen next. And I'm literally like, no, how could I not figure it out? Or how could this not have been obvious to me? <laughs> True, yes. And yes. I think. Makes um, you feel dumb, you know? Yes. And admittedly, I will confess, you know, and I'm a broken record about this, but when I was first writing my book, I really did not want my character to be well-liked at all. I didn't want her to be liked or disliked. I wanted her to be sort of the anti-hero because, as you and I probably already know, first impressions can sometimes go not the way you planned. And I kind of wanted to bring this little in- impact of reality, you know, like, people can be complicated when we first meet them, but, you know, gradually as we get to know them, their motivations why you know they became this way i think it's easier to relate to someone and i got so many comments at first just from people saying i did not like your character when i read her when i first read your book i said i know because i didn't want you to like her i wanted that's you to right. not like her at yeah, all that's why so i, I worked I, made her like that. I, I succeeded i made you not liking her but then yeah gradually, that's a great compliment out. right there very exactly. good and, and some people my relatives would look at me and say they tell you they didn't like your character and you're happy about it? I'm like, 
think about it. I didn't want them to. That's why That's I succeeded. Right. I did a good job of drawing that character. Yes. I just feel like you know that's one of the most beautiful things about writing. It doesn't have to just be one specific thing, and it's always evolving. It can change from point 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 A to point B. And even for your book, which I'm definitely gonna purchase very soon, I believe you know. To being able to inform so many people while also entertaining them—that's oh my god, a true gift right there. Well, you're right. Now, I, I, there's nothing worse than having to read something that is so boring that you're forcing yourself to read it. You know, it's important, so you have to read it. History should never be told like that. You know, that's、yeah. why just just show us these characters the way they really were. Don't make heroes out of them. Don't make villains out of them. Just show us how human they really were. Oh、my gosh, yes, and I think you know, like a lot of times, I'm guilty of this of having, like I said, celebrity crushes and thinking, oh my god, these people are like perfect, but they may have more money, they may have more fame, they have more gazillion followers, but they're still human, and I also just find it just.、Ugh. That's one of the also most beautiful things about writing. You can create a whole new world. You can make new characters. You can make new languages, backgrounds. I think of it as sort of like traveling the world without ever leaving home. Like my character has gone bungee jumping. I have never gone bungee jumping, nor do I plan <laughs> to go bungee jumping. Yes, that's、life. awesome. And I just find like ugh, to be able to learn how to entertain people and also inform them and also just keep them interested. That's gotta be a gift. I would love to be able to pick your brain about that. Well, I, I don't feel like I do that as well as lots of other people, but I do know, and I've been telling. Just your title me, alone got me hooked. Well, good. Well, I'll be honest with you. Our original title was "Voices from the Shadows" because we referred to these witnesses as voices, and they had been in the shadows all these fifty years. But the publisher said, "No, we need to. Once you get it with the publisher." You have to let them have a lot of say, and he said, "No, we need to focus on the the Texas aspect because everyone outside of Texas is fascinated by Texas, which I guess that's true to a certain extent." So actually, you have him to thank for、uh, the Lone Star speaks. We we had wanted the voices from the shadows, and some people like that one better.、Uh, but he said, "No, we need to focus on the Texas aspects of this." It does kind of catch your attention. It's one of the most important things about writing, you know, and being able to inform people about what's happening, being able to keep people safe. And I think that for me, you know, living in New York City, I hear all the time about th- this person got hurt, this person was assaulted, this person was mugged just on the subway or wherever. And I like to think, you know, that being able to inform people in a nice and entertaining way, you know, be safe. Have a goal. Be able to make your dreams, but also, you know, writing is so beneficial. And I think so many aspects of it is that it can it can be so healing. You know, writing things down, being able to just do so much research. And I think that we change the world a little by little by just writing. Yes, I think most psychologists and psychiatrists would agree with you that. If before you went and told somebody off face to face, write down everything that happened and what you want to tell them, and you—it's such a cathartic effect that you're already over it, and then you don't need to tell them. You know, if, if you can convince people, look, I know it doesn't matter if you use good grammar, doesn't matter if your punctuation's correct. 
write down what you're upset about and you'll find out you're not nearly as upset when you get through exactly and you actually bring up another great point kw i'm a really big advocate in believing you know that if you can't say it write it down and i think that for me it definitely is true for me because i've started i got the idea to write my book when i was in middle school i had gone through severe bullying and for a long time i thought you know that i didn't have a voice or that i didn't or that i wasn't necessarily powerful and i thought for a long time i wanted to express myself but i didn't know how to and it wasn't until i was in college that a professor of mine brought up this prompt and it's she said if there was another version of you and they looked exactly like you but in another universe in another world how would they be like and i just oh my gosh when i tell you i wrote i wrote my professor said for a two to three page assignment you submitted over 56 pages you obviously have something to say so keep writing yes yes that's a very good point and I yes that, i taught writing in college too uh and that's right. I kept telling him, I know you think it's hard, and yes, it is hard to learn the grammar rules and learn how to say it so that you're not repeating the same sentence structure over and over again. But the first step is to just get your ideas on paper and then start working about how to format it. Exactly. And oh, I would love, I would have loved for you had to have been my professor because my professors, I've had two professors in college who called me an amateur writer. That was well, a punch we, we to all start out amateur writers, my gosh. I know, but I'm just like, could you punch me in my heart anymore? Yeah, could you, yeah, could you hit me any harder than that? that? That really was unnecessary. And the idea, teachers are supposed to be there to motivate you and encourage you, not to discourage you. Oh my god. I don't think they were trying to discour- discourage me, but a lot of times when I tell you how many times I would just like have a heart attack looking at my stories, knowing I was vulnerable enough to share, and there were so many red marks all over the place. Oh my well, god. Well, I know that. And we actually went through a, as a training session, we went through a phase where English teachers were told, first of all, do not use red. Okay, so we would use purple or whatever, but let's face it, the marks are still there. And then we were told, do not touch with a pen a a student's paper. So we would have students that were getting D's and F's, but there wouldn't be a single mark in their paper. So finally one student came up to me and said, you know, I appreciate that there's not red all over my paper, but if I knew how to spell these words, I wouldn't have misspelled them. I need you to tell me where I made comma mistakes and spelling errors so that I can correct them. And so I said, I agree with you totally. I'm just doing what the you know supervisors tell us. But I said, you're right. You can't, if you can't find your own errors, then someone has to help you find them. So you, uh, I remember my first English class in college, you're right, the first paper I got back, and I was a pretty good writer, had red all over it. I told my students it looked like someone had performed open heart surgery on it. Oh my and, God. But my, my goal was, I'll be darned, I'm not going to get every paper like this. So uh, gradually, by the end of the semester, I got back papers that didn't have hardly any marks on them. But I wouldn't have known how to correct those if I hadn't known where the mistakes were. That is true. And I think I have a deep appreciation of my professors more than I probably did before this call. So this was this couldn't have come at a way better time. <laughs> I mean, you you do kind of realize that you have to 
point out where the errors are because I agree with the kid. He didn't, he wouldn't have misspelled those words if he'd known they were misspelled. <laughs> I said, well, you make a very good point, you know. Oh, I can completely understand because I think for me, I still make mistakes and there are moments. Well, everybody does. That's what editors are And on. I try not to. I try not to. I, I'm, I'm learning. We're learning. It's all good. <laughs> and I guess just like when you talk about amateur writers, listen, J.K. Rowling was an amateur writer until Harry Potter was published and then she was a professional. That is definitely true. Everybody learns, and I think with practice, with passion, determination, and motivation, anything is possible. Right, I agree. And you do have to work through the errors in order to come out with a, a diamond, you know? Yes. Couldn't have said it better. Couldn't have said it way better than me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and do you mind if I also ask you, um, KW, do you have any, what is the biggest tip that you'd give anybody? Like, what are your, like, what are your just biggest tips for anybody, you know, who wants to write a book, who wants to do research, who wants to look up a case, publish a book, but they may not feel like they're worthy, like their work is good enough. Like, what advice do you have for them? Well, first of all, I would say the old adage of write every day, even if it's just one paragraph is a good idea because once you get past that paragraph and I have days where I think I can't I can't think of anything I want to write I you know but if I can force myself to write one paragraph that will usually jog or trigger something that I do want to say and then all of a sudden I'll think oh that's right I want to do so and so so just kind of force yourself even if it's nothing but a paragraph describing how boring your day has been <laughs> try to come up with 15 words that mean boring and get them in that paragraph and then pretty soon it'll trigger an idea where you're thinking I wonder if I could write an essay where one person's boring day was the most exciting day that a handicapped or a person who's a recluse would have ever had. You know, compare and contrast. So it kind of gives you ideas, you know. Yes. The brain is full of ideas, you just got to trigger them. I can't agree with you more on that because I feel like for me, I have to write something immediately down because my mind goes from one idea to the other one, then the other one, then the other one, then the other one. And I'm like, how does my mind get to juggle so many ideas and has to write them down? Well, another tip I would give is to get a copy of Bartlett's or somebody else's book of quotations. Just flip it open, find a quotation, and read it and see what what it triggers. Oftentimes, other people's words will trigger ideas with you. I'm definitely going to do that. I definitely am going to do that. Because I remember a lot of times, you know, just being able to, like, uh, think I want to write but I'm not sure where to start and even a tip that my professor had given me once I'm not sure if you heard about it KW but like she said once if you're ever stuck and you're not sure what to write just write down IDK or I don't know over and over again and on a page and something comes out it actually worked for me I will find that's myself, a good idea yeah I actually found myself saying oh my god dog ate a bone and went up a tree or a cat ate a can of tuna and and went to bed. I'm like, how is this possible? I thought, no way. <laughs> yes. And I would do something similar if when they were really stuck. I would say, start with the word if and finish it. If whatever. And all of a sudden, someone said, oh, I, you know, that can open up anything. 
if if I had a million dollars, if I could fly, if I could travel through time, if whatever, and then you know, then that opens up possibilities that you never dreamed of. That is, oh my gosh, spot on. I think I'm gonna try that too, if you don't mind. I'm gonna try that. No, I don't mind. That's what I tell my students, do the same thing they do. I'm gonna start listening to your podcast. What days are they on? Definitely. So I usually publish around Mondays, every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe that's two your time. And okay. I think for me, I always use, I usually do a mix of true crime or the mystery as well as whenever I have guests, I always like them choosing the topic or if I'm having authors, you know, still choose the topic, but I definitely love to hear, you know, like their motivations for writing. And yeah. this has been an absolute blast. I truly hope oh, you've enjoyed, well, I've enjoyed it. enjoyed it. And if you'll just uh, text me or email me when it's going to be, then I'll spread the word about your podcast. Yes, of course. I will definitely keep you posted. And I don't have any other questions for you, KW, but if you have any questions for me, feel free. Uh, I, well, what got you interested in doing a podcast? I, I've i always just loved to write. I always called myself a self-proclaimed bookworm. And I, I've been blogging for about two years, and I've been podcasting for one. And what really got me interested in it was first, when I was blogging, I had been talking about so many unsolved crimes, and I had seen that a lot of people were interested in, you know, wanting to learn more. And I thought, I really want to talk about more in more detail. Yeah. And I wasn't sure where to go, but I have a friend, um, his name is Voice of Garcia. He actually has a podcast. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. No, I don't think so. He's more based on like Marvel, Justice League, stuff like that. Yeah. But I remember just having so many hesitations, so many questions. And he told me, you know, why don't you do a podcast? You definitely have something more to say. Go for it. And I remember just having any questions that I had, I would go to him. I still go to him. I one day wanted to like really bring my words out there. And he, that's actually how I'm recording us through the Anchor app and I just found it it was completely fascinating and I had a lot of hesitation at first you know thinking who's gonna want to listen to my voice who's gonna want to read what I'm writing and my friend Mike was an absolute support so he still is he actually had referred me to podcast guests and told me you know if you want to meet more people why don't you go get more guests and I didn't think I was gonna get that many people but I was I was floored by seeing how many people wanted to join yourself included I think I think you've done, I mean, you have a really good way of focusing on the person you're talking to with asking good questions, because you're right, you have to, um, instead of, you can always interject your own opinion, but the focus has to be on the person that you're interviewing, which is what, you know, think of Barbara Walters and all the famous interviews, but you're good at that, so this is obviously your niche. Thank you so much, because I remember feeling, you know, whenever I did have a guest, or whenever I do have a guest, at first I would just have family, and I felt like it was really interesting, because, like I said, I always want my guests to feel 100% comfortable, so I always let them choose the topic, I let them choose the limit, and I've had a few guests who were initially shy and a little nervous, but they, I, so far I have not had one bad experience, and they actually always ask to come back. I feel pride, I feel prideful of that, because I always feel like, I've heard so many experiences from people saying that when they've been on podcasts they felt like they were coerced or 
just feeling like they were shushed or told to say things and just having really bad experiences. So I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want to yeah, do that. Yeah, I was like, you did great. And hey, someday you may write a book. Everything I learned from podcasts. I would love to do that. And I think for me, my friend Mike, he just made his second podcast. He tells me, why don't you make another podcast? I said, I just started season two of Detective Reuter. I am also a blogger. I want to meet more people, but I also feel like for me to have two podcasts, I'm going to stretch myself even more thinner. That's true. That's true. Maybe be better to have one really good one. I hope so, because I feel like, ugh, I just... I really want to meet more people, want to get to know more guests and get to know their motivations. I actually had a cousin of mine um, on my podcast once. She, because she lives in Ecuador, so it's predominantly a Spanish-speaking country. And I remember being able to translate for her, and it was kind of interesting. And back to your um, other point, you know, I would love to write a book. Hey, it sounds good to me. And uh, if anyone wants to buy The Lone Star Speaks, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and you know anything else and uh, if they want to figure out a way to uh, get up up um, oh uh, what do you call it when you sign a a little book print uh, autograph yeah but I was thinking if they make oh book plate a signed book plate then we, we we don't mind at all sending those to people yes of course and if you don't even mind sending one to me. I'm kind of curious. No, I don't mind at all. And I don't even mind sending you and Sarah my book. And I hope you guys can enjoy it. Please, if you have any critiques, I'd love to know. Because I want to definitely, you know, really get my hand in writing. But like I said, completely fictional, 100%. So I'm just going to rehash that. Completely fictional. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sue me. Don't sue me. (laughs) I know. Because if I've ever tried to kill a doctor or you should go to jail for this. I'm like, no. This is complete That's what fiction. fiction is called, fiction. Exactly. And I make sure to emphasize that on my socials. Fiction writer. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, but this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining me, KW. Oh, you're more than welcome. It. I hope you enjoyed it. Definitely. And for those of you who have been listening, I truly hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like, share, and subscribe. I will be posting the links uh, that KW is going to send over to me. Thank you. And for all of you, I hope you all have a great day, afternoon, morning, evening, or night, wherever you are in the world. Please stay tuned for next week. And until then, keep on sleuthing.